the rights that we have today through the Constitution were established through the founding fathers becoming extremely politically engaged. And that is my call out to Bitcoiners is if you may come from a libertarian mindset and you think, you know, I don't like government, I don't like politics. Uh, you might not like government. You might not like politics. You might not be interested in it. But politics is 100% interested in you. And if you don't stand up and start to become engaged, then others will that disagree with you and they will shape a government and a framework in a way that is not aligned with the world that you see or the world that you want. And when Texas is in a position to experiment and move forward on Bitcoin mining, it gives us the ability to take what we learn, the positives, and turn to the other RTOs and ISOs and turn to FERC and say, look at all the success that's happening in Texas because of Bitcoin mining. So if Texas would have been knocked out of that spot, I really can't reiterate quite enough what a negative outcome it would have caused for the whole country. Introducing the Blockware Marketplace. Start mining Bitcoin today. This has the potential to transform the mining industry as now anyone can buy a Bitcoin ASIC using on-chain or Lightning, see its historical and live hash rate before purchasing, and be earning Bitcoin mining rewards in minutes. This brings transparency and turnkey mining to a whole other level. Start mining Bitcoin today at marketplace.blockwaresolutions.com. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Blockware Intelligence Podcast. This week I have on Dennis Porter. Dennis, welcome. Um, I'll go ahead and jump right into it. Um, I know like, you know, many Bitcoiners are like freedom and libertarian minded individuals. Why do you think it is so important to educate and work with policymakers? I know that's what you're spending a lot of your time doing now. So why do you think it's so important? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think it would be good to start back at the beginning of, you know, why I decided to become really super politically engaged with, with Bitcoin. Um, you know, I was early 2021, I decided to jump on Clubhouse. Everybody was closed in, shut in uh, during the closures. And I had decided to try to find a way into Bitcoin. You know, Sailor had started talking about Bitcoin and the world was kind of going crazy. So I figured if there's a time for Bitcoin to start going off, popping off again, this would be it. So I jumped on Clubhouse and decided to start talking a lot about Bitcoin. And, and like in those rooms, everyone kind of had this, this kind of dark outlook on the future of America and where we were headed. It was like, uh, you know, start preparing now for where you're going to flee to when the United States collapses and falls. And, you know, we, where are you going to go? Are you going to go to El Salvador? Are you going to go to Portugal? Start start figuring out your like your the, the next destination, right? And uh, uh, you know, it kind of made kind of it kind of felt like everyone was just kind of like uh, almost like hive mind, like talking about how the United States was going to collapse. Um, and and one day I just kind of kept I kept thinking that I was like, yeah, it does kind of seem like this is this is going to happen. But one day I just woke up and I and I really thought to myself, you know, I I, I don't think that's a world a that I should be hoping for. Uh, I don't think anybody necessarily hopes for or planning for. And instead, I should be trying to do whatever I can to make sure the United States heads the right direction on Bitcoin. We, for a while, have all thought that there's no way that America can be pro-Bitcoin. But I think in the last year to two years, we've really seen quite a bit of uptake or increase in elected officials taking Bitcoin very, very seriously. We have you know, Senator Lummis saying, thank God for Bitcoin on the Senate floor. We have multiple members of Congress coming out very strongly supporting Bitcoin, uh, writing policy to support Bitcoin. And then at the state level, we are, we're seeing policy being passed uh, because this is an important metric. You know, oftentimes we are oh saying, oh, these politicians, they're just 
trying to get our vote. They're just trying to get our support. The ultimate sign that a politician is not just trying to get your support by providing lip service to your issue is when they pass actual law, because that's that's the ultimate goal, right? Is you want to make sure that either uh, your issue is enshrined in law, maybe protections for that issue, uh, or the issue that you care about is advanced through regulations or through creating a regulatory framework. And we have seen that already taking place at the state level. And in fact, even some of the folks that are in DC today, uh, like Senator Lummis, were fighting at the state level and passing pro-Bitcoin uh, policy that would enhance the, the possible direction of the United States. So, so for myself, you know, I woke up from that clubhouse era of my life and I really just decided that I wanted to make sure that we continue down that path of making sure the United States is the best place in the world to be politically engaged. So I became very active and started pushing to talk about Bitcoin a lot with the politicians. I was starting to educate members of Congress, staffers, but ultimately realized that I needed to do something that was much more honed in. And that's when I decided to launch Satoshi Action Fund with my two co-founders. And we got to work on what we felt was the most important approach to how to make a difference for Bitcoin. And that was to go at the state level. Oftentimes people look at DC, it's a shiny object. And I do think it's important to be there. I think it's important to educate. In fact, I'll be going back there June 22nd for a Bitcoin book education day to continue spreading the word of Bitcoin. But I don't think we're gonna see any sort of significant movement out of DC, uh, at least not until after the next election cycle, potentially even further than that. And also, I think there's a there's a little bit of a a belief within the Bitcoin space that you know this next administration, if it switches, that they'll come and you know kind of heal and save all of our problems. I I, I tend to don't to tend to disagree with that. I think that the next administration, although they might solve some of the problems we see today uh, or alleviate some of the attacks we see today, we will see different attacks and we will see different angles of of pushback on Bitcoin because ultimately those who have control over the federal government are incentivized to limit the ability for Bitcoin to grow within the United States um, to some extent, because they have the control over the money printer and the money printer is you know, in, co in competition. The old unlimited money printer is in competition with Bitcoin. So I, I really believe that if we wanna see the world move forward in a way where uh, it's, it's, a, it's a positive world and our, our children will have uh, a high quality of life, that we need to be highly engaged because the opposite of that is a world where Bitcoin is not moving forward and the United States is having major issues and maybe it does fall out of becoming the world reserve currency. And then we're gonna have all sort of knockoff effects in America that result in not only our lives, but our children's lives uh, potentially being much, much worse off than we are today. And what, and what else are we really fighting for if not to make sure that the next generation has a very, very, very po positive future? And right now, many think that that future is dark. And so I want to make sure that Bitcoiners specifically understand that if you want the future to be bright, it does not involve just buying Bitcoin and sitting on your hands. It involves becoming extremely engaged. I mean, the rights that we have today through the Constitution were established through the founding fathers becoming extremely politically engaged. And that is my call out to Bitcoiners is if you may come from a libertarian mindset and you think, you know, I don't like government, I don't like politics, uh, you might not like government, you might not like politics, you might not be interested in it, but politics is 100% interested in you. And if you don't stand up and start to become engaged, then others will that disagree with you and they will shape a government and a framework in a way that is not aligned with the world that you see or the world that you want. So if you wanna be like your founding fathers and make sure the world is created in a way that you think is going to add value to your life and your children's lives and for generations to come, 
I'll stop here, but I would not, could not encourage you more to become politically active and start pushing for regulations and for policy that protect your right to, to own, possess Bitcoin, to have a Bitcoin business, and to make sure that countries like America are the best place in the world to own and mine Bitcoin. Yeah, I love that. I mean, it, it's very interesting that you came from like that that doom background when people were in Clubhouse during COVID, thinking about like how the world's going to end and America's going to go into a downfall. But then you're like, hey, like let's do something about it. We have this tool now called Bitcoin that exists and it empowers people. Let's make it to where you know the laws make it to where anyone can mine Bitcoin, anyone can hold Bitcoin, and you know, if we can make it to where it's easy for people to hold this new tool and use this new tool, then we're going to make the world a better place. So very, very awesome there. Yeah. Um, I mean, think... absolutely. That's right. I mean, you, it's all about making sure the future is one where it's a positive world for Bitcoiners. People say like, oh, we want to be, you know, let's move to El Salvador. Why don't you want to make the United States compete with El Salvador over the future of who can be the best country in the world to be a Bitcoiner. I mean, the United States was founded on on freedom and individualism, something that I think a lot of Bitcoiners agree with. We should be making sure that the United States establishes those, those values. And if you don't think that it's possible, um, you know, look again to other industries who have had struggles. I mean, just take, for instance, the marijuana industry. You know, they, they are, it's still federal crime to possess, distribute, uh, and grow marijuana, yet the marijuana industry has been able to grow at the state level and been able to uh, establish themselves as a legitimate industry. Now there's a specific strategy on how they approach that. They didn't just run around and tell everyone I should be able to smoke whatever I want to smoke or put in my body, whatever I want. They, they went state by state and told policymakers the truth, which is that if you bring the marijuana industry to your state, you can bring jobs, investment, you can increase the property value and you can decrease crime. And that's basically the same approach that we take at Satoshi Action Fund. We go state by state and we talk about the benefits of Bitcoin and, and specifically Bitcoin mining. You can bring jobs, you can bring investment, you can bring grid stability, and you can also enhance carbon-free energy projects as well as other energy projects, and you can clean up the environment. And these are all things that policymakers want and need and are some things that they want to bring to their electorate, they want to bring to their voters. So states are much more reflexive to the needs of the voters. DCI would say less so because they could just turn on that money printer and start printing money whenever they need something. They could continue to kick the can down the road. There's, there's less of an opportunity to do that at the state level. And also at the state level, oftentimes these guys are volunteers. They care a lot more about what they can bring to their people. And in some cases they might even be trying to build their political career. And when you build your political career, you need to, you need to build in wins. And so if you wanna build in wins so that you can go and kind of win your US Senate seat or member of Congress, best place to do it is at the state level. And one way you can do that is by attracting Bitcoin miners to your state to solve some of the problems that you know exist in their in your jurisdiction. Yeah, hundred percent. We need you know more Bitcoin miners and more states all across the U.S. I think that's awesome. On this note of of you know government and Bitcoin, I guess do you think Bitcoin is is basically like a tool that empowers people? And then do you also think that it kind of disempowers large corporations and large governments to some degree? Yeah, you know, it's a really great question. I, I do think that what Bitcoin does is it levels the playing field. So the current system disempowers individuals and empowers the, you know, the ultra wealthy and empowers the politically connected more so than normal. I mean, you will always, the wealthy and politically connected will always have an advantage because of that position, but because of the, the closeness, once you have a significant level of capital, 
um, and, and you're close to the politicians who control the money printer, it's, it's just the advantage is so much bigger because of that, that ability of that money printer to print unlimited amounts of money um, and distribute it how they see fit. And that's why a lot of people like to go to DC, right? The reason why people like to get so close to DC is so they can get really, really close to the money printer. So what'll happen is it, like, you know, this is all theory, right? Because we don't know what's gonna happen in the future, but let's say we would go towards a world where Bitcoin becomes a reserve currency um, and uh, we get away from printing unlimited amounts of money and we have a more responsible form of money. I, I think what'll happen is you'll have a more responsible form of government. And then you'll also have uh, you know, maybe high net worth individuals and those people that were going after the political class are going to be more concerned about getting close to the productive class, people that cr actually create value because they can't just go ask for free money from the government. They have to actually go find a way to give, get people to give them money. So I do think it will em empower the individual and in some ways it will actually be good for government because it will, it will force government to be more responsible and more in tune with the needs of the voters. Uh, there's a big problem today right now where, pe where people feel very disconnected from government, where they feel that when they go and they vote or when they try to show support for a politician because maybe they're voicing concerns for the issue they care about, that at the end of the day, the politician is not responsible to them, is not reflexive to the needs of the electorate. And I think that to, and there's in a part that's that's partly true, right? That's um, we can see that happening today. Politicians will say one thing and they'll do something totally different. Uh, and unfortunately, part of the reason why they can get away with that is because of the, the influence of money over the political system and that the closeness being needing to be close to big piles of money is more important or important sometimes than needing to be close to, you know, large amounts of voters, because you can, you can have a large influence over the election simply through the amount of money that you raise. Now it's not everything. I think people oftentimes get it a little too carried away with saying that, you know, money is the only thing that matters in politics. And I can absolutely 100% tell you that that's not true. It is too important. And I think that people have too much focus on the money and that it does drive too much of the influence, but it is not the only thing that matters. In fact, relationships are a huge part of what drives politics. When you are close to someone and they are close to you and they're trusting you, um, that's a very big, uh, there's a lot, there's a lot there to be, to be said. Uh, you know, when we talk to politicians that we're close to, they trust us and they move the right direction on those issues. It, it matters. Unfortunately, the system has become so disenfranchised where the voters are becoming, like I said, kind of more pulled away from the political system. They're engaging less. There's less civic engagement. And this is really bad because, you know, you're, there's that old saying, it's like, you, know, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Well, when you you, you know, you got you got your special interests, you got your your corporate entities, you got your high net worth individuals, and then you have your electorate, which is becoming less and less engaged. You know, politicians just naturally will become uh, less reflexive to the to that group because they're not engaging with them as much. And the, the system that we live within is that's what's creating that dynamic. The the money printer, the high net worth individuals going after the political class, all of these things are shoving the electorate to the side and causing politicians to have to sp pay more attention to the people that they spend the most time with. So it's not necessarily just the fault of the politician. It's more so the, the system that we live within. And we can change that system by moving to you know, obviously a more uh, responsible government, one that doesn't have an unlimited money printer that they can just print at will, because right now it does very much seem like we can just print as much money as we want and that there will be no sort of like significant repercussions. Yeah, we have inflation, right? There's you know, five, six percent, seven percent. Maybe that will number will go up. But we're not talking about like double digit or triple digit inflation at this point, which is happening in some countries. So I would love to see a world where we become obviously more responsible to the needs of the voters, 
because that is a better world for all of us. We can see more civic engagement and we can start to see a level playing field, as mentioned before in your question, where it will be, it'll empower the individual and will take some power away from, like I said, high net worth individuals and special interests um, and large corporations. It won't d demolish them, but it will shift their focus away and start to make it level playing field for all the people involved in the situation. Yeah, I really like that perspective. It's almost like the the money printer, the ability to have that money printer has just kind of created a bunch of whack incentives. And Bitcoin is just, and, and your work is kind of restoring like the natural state of where governments and democracies in the US may be. So I think that was a really good perspective. Um, I know you guys are hard at work at Satoshi Action Fund. What are the recent regulations and bills that you've been working on or, or promoting within specific states? Yeah, we've been working hard uh, at Satoshi Action Fund, where we are the you know Bitcoin mining advocacy organization. So we care a lot about Bitcoin mining, and and by default, we care a lot about Bitcoin, obviously, because if you care a lot about mining, you have to care a lot about Bitcoin and 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 the right rules and regulations that uh, that encompass that sort of asset. Uh, at Satoshi Action Fund, we've got four pieces of model policy. Our most popular model policy is the right to mine bill. We have introduced that in multiple states. So far, we have passed it into law in Arkansas and into Montana. And we also in Montana exempted or banned any sort of additional taxes on Bitcoin when used as a form of payment. And, and this is just the beginning for us. You know, we started off with some very reasonable policy, reasonable asks. You know, we're not going in and asking for them to, you know, give us free money. Uh, we're not asking for unabated regulation. We're asking for responsible regulation around Bitcoin mining because we want to make sure that good actors thrive within the Bitcoin mining space and that we also but we also give local government the ability to limit bad actors from participating in this ecosystem because bad actors can oftentimes cause more damage than a disgruntled politician who doesn't like Bitcoin mining. Bad actors can drive the neutral politicians to create regulations and laws that are very unfriendly for Bitcoin mining. We already see this happening all over the place. Um, you can go to North Carolina. There's a couple of examples there where bad actors who don't care about the impact that they're having on the local community that they're in are causing very serious issues to the point where the local people are kind of rising up and being like, we need to get rid of this, this industry. It's bad. They just come in, they take resources. They don't care. They create all this noise pollution. Uh, most of the time, that's not true. Most of the time, most... Bitcoin miners that I engage with are great actors, they're good corporate partners. They come in, they mitigate the noise, and they make sure that the people in the community are in contact with them and they're communicating with them and that the local officials understand what they're trying to do and see the value of the technology. But occasionally someone comes in who doesn't care, doesn't mitigate the noise, doesn't doesn't care about the impact on the local uh, economy or the grid or the constituency. And then those people turn around and they go to the policymakers and they say, you know, my life is my life is getting ruined by these Bitcoin miners. And so that's where you'll start to see like neutrals uh, and even maybe some people that would have been supportive come out and try to regulate the industry or overregulate the industry. So part of our policy efforts are always going to be making sure that we are fine tuning regulations in a way that don't allow government to abuse or discriminate against Bitcoin miners. Uh, and then also giving making sure that same simultaneously that government can still do what it needs to do to get rid of those bad actors. And that's a really important mission for us at Satoshi Action Fund.
Nice. I like it. Yeah, I know there was a like an anti-Bitcoin mining bill that was like moving through Texas that I, I believe right. is now dead thanks to maybe your work and Pierre Richard and Riot. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Like what, what was the bill and then like how did it not get passed? Yeah, SB 1751, we, you know, it's a, basically just an anti-Bitcoin mining bill. And it's it's not, I'm not exaggerating when I say that it's targeting Bitcoin miners. They say in the actual text of the bill, uh, it goes directly after virtual currency data centers, which is, you know, basically Bitcoin mining. Um, there are other types of, you know, mining out there, but 90 plus percent of mining is done through the Bitcoin mining proof of work algorithm. So <clears throat> very much targeting Bitcoin miners. What the bill does in, in ancillary services up to 10%, anything over that, you, they can't participate in it. So really limits what is really the best ability of Bitcoin mining. Bitcoin mining is one of the best grid balancing loads on the planet. And so if you're going in and you're saying, you know, like we want to limit this, uh, the ability for this technology to balance the grid, you're, you're kind of removing what is the best use case of Bitcoin mining today. We might find other use cases in the future. I think that we're starting to see some stuff around the, the potential for environmental cleanup and, you know, enhancing intermittent energy generation. But right now, the one that everyone agrees on is that Bitcoin is very, very good at balancing the grid. So it would, it would cap that participation. It would limit the free market in that respect. Um, and then also it would end any sort of ability for Bitcoin miners to get incentives to create rural jobs. In the state of Texas, there's a tax abatement program where any, any, big, any sort of industry at all, doesn't matter who they are, they can go create jobs in rural communities. And when they you know, build a site um, and the property value goes up, typically the taxes will go up as well. So what the rural community will say is like, hey, we will allow you to get a tax abatement where for the next 10 years, the value of your property might go up, but the taxes won't. And that's just an incentive tool that rural communities have to you know, bring job creators in because bringing jobs in is more important than you know, getting property tax values going up, which eventually will go up, but it's just a kind of like a, a delay on that um, increase in property taxes. And some people like these, some people don't. I'm not here to debate whether or not we should allow for rural communities to have access to these sort of tax abatement programs. But when you single out just Bitcoin mining, then that's going to be a very serious problem. So that was an issue. Um, the third one is it was um, Bitcoin miners over a certain size would have to register with ERCOT um, and participate in the large flexible load program, which we don't have any problem with. That's great. There's other bills, in fact, that that passed that have that stipulation in them. I think one passed where it said that they have to be, if they're over 75 megawatts, they have to register with ERCOT. We think that's great. We want to see more participation between ERCOT and these large loads. Uh, especially because the more we know and understand what's out there, we can also have a better understanding of what we can call on for any sort of emergencies that we have seen in the past. So the bill would have done those three things, and we really didn't like the first two. The last one is fine. Um, what happened was the bill got introduced, and we kind of were like, as an industry and as a community, didn't pay a whole lot of attention to it because we're like, oh, this bill is like too crazy. Like it's it just targets us. There's no way anyone's going to let it pass. But unfortunately a very powerful senator had introduced it and was very motivated to get it passed. There's a lot of theories out there why. You know, some people say it's the peaker plant industry. Uh, some people say it's the gas industry or other, other loads that were participating in these ancillary service programs that didn't like having to compete against Bitcoin miners because the Bitcoin miners are so good at balancing the grid that they, um, they, they wanted to see that limited. And this is something that I, you know, as a quick side note, that we have to be really cognizant of. If we don't engage in government, other industries and other players will that don't like what we're doing and they will limit and restrict us. So this is part of the reason why it's very important 
that the Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining industry become highly, highly, highly engaged. Like we have to make sure that when these types of bills come up, that we are nipping them in the absolute bud. And in fact, maybe we are edu- doing so much education on this issue and we're so engaged. We're one of the five people, we're one of the five industries that these policymakers spend the most time with, that they understand our issue so much that when someone tries to introduce this stuff, they're just like, yeah, these no, they're not going to let it pass. I'm not going to get let it get through committee. So the, the bill was put forward by a very powerful senator. We don't know the motive, although we can guess uh, that it was backed by some powerful interests. And it got it went to committee. The first thing that happens with any bill is first you introduce it, get it, dra- get it drafted, introduce it. And then it goes to a committee, which is generally made up of anywhere from like eight to 12 people, uh, depending on what state you're in. Uh, in Texas for this committee, it was it was 10 um, and with the, the tiebreaker being the, you know, the chair of the committee if needed uh, at the 11th spot. So it goes to the committee. And as it's approaching the committee vote, all of a sudden we're talking to people and they're all like, yeah, we're going to we're going to vote in support of it. And we're like, what? Why? We started meeting with them. Why are you why are you going to vote in support of this? Well, you know, powerful senator this powerful senator that and we were like, OK, so there's some sort of like unknown political headwinds that we are not we're not previously aware of in the situation. Uh, and the commit the bill ends up actually getting voted unanimously through committee, which was really, really bad. When a bill gets voted unanimously in the state of Texas, which means everybody voted in favor of it, it gets put on this like express calendar, which will allow the bill to move very rapidly and just like boom through the Senate. Like no and nobody will vote against it because in the Senate, unanimously in the Senate, that you really don't you don't vote against it unless it's something you really, really, really are like vehemently opposed to. And there's just not anybody that's like going to be vehemently in support of Bitcoin mining. Maybe we got a few people, but not really. In fact, when it went to the Senate floor vote, it did, again, pass unanimously. Not a single senator. One one originally was going to stand behind this, and he was going to vote against it, but he ended up retracting his vote later on. So not a single senator. So all of a sudden, we're in a situation where this thing passed unanimously through committee, unanimously through the Senate, and now it's moving over to the House side. All of a sudden, we are like, okay, we need to go, excuse me, on the uh, Capitol lawn. And then we started engaging with policymakers, figuring out what we could do, talking to the committee on the House side to make sure that the bill didn't even come up for a vote. And that's ultimately what ended up happening. We were fighting very hard alongside the Texas Blockchain Council and also the Digital Chamber of Commerce to make sure that this bill literally just never came up for a floor or a House uh, uh, vote in the committee. And the benefit of that uh, um, in on the state level is that there's kind of like a calendar. There's like a timeline that you have to fulfill. In Congress, things can just go and go and go and go. They can, 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 they can be sitting in idle forever. And one day they, they pass. In Texas, there's like a deadline, uh, which was May 29th. And on May 29th, when there was no committee vote, by de facto, the bill just died because it didn't make it through committee, never got to House floor vote, never made it to the governor's desk, which is, was, which is what we were fighting for. Now, if it had made it through the House uh, committee, it would have went to all these different offices trying to figure out who we can get to vote against this thing, when we instead, we were just able to pull that off. There were some things, I mean, there were moments in the lobbying efforts where we were like, wow, this just, this just completely changed the way this thing was going. We were really concerned about where it was going, and we got it and had some conversations. And then on the outcomes of those conversations, which I, I, I can't quite share the details of, um, just want to respect the people that were involved. It was pr- very significant in the out in the in general impact of where the the bill itself was going. So um, I'll, I'll stop there. Obviously, that was a lot. I think that's just part of the reason why people need to understand in the Bitcoin space why it's so important that you become extremely engaged. Because if we were just mildly engaged, this bill would have passed. If we were just moderately engaged or even very engaged, the bill probably still could have passed. But we were lobbying, you know, multiple days 
I spent eight hours at the Capitol one day. One of those days with uh, was with Pierre Richard. Um, he was an absolute like champion in this situation. Really uh, was pretty impressed by how engaged she was. Um, a lot of other mining companies were as well. Iris Energy got in there. Um, of course, we saw uh, Riot becoming very engaged. Uh, U.S. Bitcoin with Matt Persec was very, very engaged. And so we really love to see those miners show up. But if we were not like hyper engaged, multiple days of lobbying, rallying at the Capitol on the lawn, I, I think this bill would have passed and we would have seen in some instances like Bitcoin miners just leave the state of Texas. And that would have been a very unfortunate because Big Texas has been leading on Bitcoin mining. And when Texas is leading on Bitcoin mining, the United States is the whole country is winning because the way the system is set up is that Texas, because of ERCOT, it sits outside of FERC. FERC is the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. They oversee all the RTOs and ISOs, except for ERCOT. It's the only one they don't oversee. And because of that, they're kind of allowed to kind of almost like have this like sandbox where they can do what they want, play around, have more experimentation. And when Texas is in a position to experiment and move forward on Bitcoin mining, it gives us the ability to take what we learned, the positives, and turn to the other RTOs and ISOs and turn to FERC and say, look at all the success that's happening in Texas because of Bitcoin mining. So if Texas would have been knocked out of that spot, I really can't reiterate quite enough what a negative outcome it would have caused for the whole country. I've had so many conversations as well where people were like, well, we're going to wait to invest in Texas and in America because we're not sure what's going to happen with this bill. People were highly concerned in some country. Yeah, wow. That's Pretty fascinating. I was following the bill, you know, somewhat closely over Twitter over the last, I guess, couple of weeks and, and month or so. And I didn't realize, you know, how in depth and, and, and important it was. That's very awesome that you guys did that work and, and got that uh, dead in the water. Um, another bill that I know that people have been talking about in the past is that 30% proof of work tax. I think it was a, more of a federal bill. Um, what's the status with that now? Is it is it dead? And how did it die? So, yeah, so uh, I would say debt is the best way to explain it. Um, but unfortunately, in Congress, things can come back to life very easily. But it's dead. It's dead for now um, is the way that I would explain it. So what happened was uh, this debt ceiling bill, you know, increasing the debt ceiling was the thing that Congress was most concerned about getting passed. And these are what we call must pass bills. You, know, you got your budget bill and you got your deficit bill um, or deficit increase bill. And you have to increase the deficit, otherwise the country will go default, right? So it's a must-pass bill, and oftentimes because you have to pass them. In uh, these situations, is a prime opportunity for someone who wants to pass that 30% tax to say, okay, you know, we'll agree to X, Y, Z, this, 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 and this, but we're going to slip this 30% tax in there. So we, I was very concerned that the 30% tax would get included. Um, what ha what ended up happening was. And I was having conversations, of course, with multiple members of Congress, Lead, you know, all the, from the moment it was introduced all the way to the moment that it was, you know, essentially temporarily killed uh, is what we'll say, uh, saying that they would, you know, oppose this thing. They would get in the way. They would make sure it would never pass. That was great. I was loving the conversations I was having with our supporters. But you just never know, you know, just like in Texas, all of a sudden wheeling and dealing, uh, horse trading, as you call it, in the political world can have things that. You know, these politicians never thought we're going to they'd be, get behind. All of a sudden they're getting behind because, you know, there's other things that they got included that were more important to them, which I, I understand. This is just the way the political system works. When enough leverage is applied, sometimes things get pushed through that you wouldn't think would get pushed through. Um, well, we woke up to Pierre Richard having a uh, Twitter back and forth with Congressman Warren Davidson. And he had, he had mentioned that he saw the bill, uh, Pierre saw the bill, and that the Dame tax was not included. And he had asked Warren Davidson if it would be included or was he missing? Uh, 
he said yes, that luckily because of part of the negotiations that there would be no new taxes. So this is something to keep in mind. You know, we, in order to get the Dame tax killed, we kind of became very fortuitous in that the Republican side of the aisle in this situation, they, they basically negotiated that there would be no new taxes in the debt increase, uh, the debt limit increase. And so that was very fortunate for us. And that's what resulted in this 30% tax no longer you know, being pushed forward right now, uh, currently. But that's uh, something that I think was important for us to remember is we need to stay vigilant because this thing can come back up. I don't want anybody to be saying, you know, Dennis Porter told me that uh, this thing is dead and it's never going to come back. Uh, unfortunately, that's not the way politics works. And it's part of the reason why so many people don't like engaging in politics, because you have to stay very vigilant and on top of these issues and make sure that it never comes back again in the future and that it never becomes part of the negotiation. So that's why, reiterating again, got to stay super active as, as Bitcoiners and people that care about Bitcoin to make sure that something like a Dame tax never gets passed. Because if that tax were to pass, it would, I wouldn't say it would kill the Bitcoin mining industry overnight, but it would be very, very harmful. In fact, I was talking to a lot of people who said, you know, I'm looking elsewhere because I don't want to invest in the United States and get, get hit with this tax. So sometimes people think, oh, well, technically a 30% tax wouldn't kill the industry. I'm like, yeah, but there, people are already uh, putting in their head that I'm not going to even come to the United States until this thing is resolved. I've multiple conversations with the Texas situation. They were like, well, I'm worried about Texas and I'm worried about the Dame tax. And over and over and over again, people said, I'm looking elsewhere right now. And so that's why I was very glad to see that at least right now, we do not have to worry about that Dame tax. Um, it could come up in the future, just like anything could. Um, and then also we do not have to worry about SB 1751, which was the anti-Bitcoin mining bill in Texas. Yeah, I mean, it's great to hear that neither of those bills passed and then hopefully we'll never see anything, you know, like that again come up. Um, do you think like going into, so it is, you know, now it's 2023 or going into 2024, which will be another presidential election. Do you think Bitcoin or and or Bitcoin mining will play a, a role in the presidential election? I, I think it can. I, I've been calling for some time that I thought that there would be Bitcoin questions in the presidential debates. And right now we see already three presidential candidates voicing support for Bitcoin. Um, and we also have a Republicans and Democrats voicing support for Bitcoin. So I do think it will be part of the election cycle, how much of a part it will play. I think that is TB TBD. Um, but one of the things that I have been championing for a long time and telling, and telling politicians, telling elected officials about is that you know the Bitcoin space, it's like a single issue voter block and no one really controls or owns or has that voter block on their side. And I don't think anybody will ever necessarily completely own it, um, but it is a, it's like a swing vote, right? So, and swing votes are very important for elected officials. Uh, a lot of times people think that, you know, they need to be more worried about how much money they're pulling in, how many TV ads they got. Swing voters are arguably one, maybe not the most important, but they're up there top three most important components to pay attention to in election cycles. And not just swing voters, but brand new electorate swing voters. Um, we don't really see that happen very often. It's very uncommon to have a totally new type of voter class um, and one that can go across party divides. Usually you'll see, you know, uh, like a new voter class pop up, but it will be housed within one party or the other. That's not what's taking place right now. There, we have an opportunity to not only influence primaries, which is what happens when you get housed inside of a party. Like let's say, um, let's take the 
you know, the gun issue, for instance, like people that care a lot about gun ownership, they're going to pretty much be within the Republican Party. So when you're when you have your primary, in order for you to have influence as someone who cares about that issue, you know, you you care about it, um, you know, it moving forward, you primary, then once you get to the general, it doesn't matter. The Democrats probably always going to be opposed to, um, uh, you know, lax gun laws. So, but this is very different for the Bitcoin community. The Bitcoin community is not housed within a Republican or Democrat party. We're not one-sided. We, we're, you know, our vote doesn't only matter in the primary, although it does matter. It's very important. But in the general, potentially, you could have this new swing voter who, like, let's say you end up with a Democrat who is very opposed to Bitcoin, potentially Biden. I mean, it's very ch- high likelihood that he's going to continue on because that sitting president has lost their primary. I don't know if it may have happened once. I'll have to double check my history books, um, but it's extremely rare. So even though a lot of people don't like Biden and they think that he you know, shouldn't shouldn't continue on and they like in the Bitcoin community, they like uh, uh, Robert Kennedy, just the odds of the, of the primary moving in his direction is just low, even though you know I, I like that he's pro-Bitcoin. So let's say we end up with a Biden situation uh, where Biden is anti-Bitcoin and then somehow maybe like a DeSantis, a Vivek, uh, someone else who's pro-Bitcoin ends up on the Republican side of the ticket. All of a sudden, you have a brand new voter class who all they're doing is voting for the Republican. They might not even, I mean, there's, there's, there's progressives that I know who will vote for the Republican because they care a lot that much about Bitcoin. And this is something that people need to appreciate. Like, there's nothing you can do. People will get mad. They'll say, how dare you, you know, vote for someone who's, you know, against uh, reproductive rights and the pro-gun. Uh, just because they're just because they care about Bitcoin, people need to understand that Bitcoin voters are going to, and for the long, for the near foreseeable future, be in a highly entrenched voting block because they are morally and economically incentivized to do so. It's very uncommon, um, and I'll probably finish on this. We maybe we can go a little longer, but it's very very uncommon to have a a voter class that is morally and economically entrenched to vote for an issue. And what that means is that Bitcoiners believe that that the money issue is a moral issue. And that at the base of all the problems that we see in society today, that they're downstream from the fact that the money is broken. So all the bad things that are happening will be not go away, but they will be uh, they will be benefited or they will be, get better because of Bitcoin. So it's, that's a moral issue, whether that be, you know, poverty rate, uh, minorities being you know discriminated against. Uh, this is a type of money you can't discriminate with. We, the list could go on. Right. So that's the moral side. But then they also own Bitcoin. So. Anytime you try to regulate it or ban it or go after and attack it, you're attacking their wallet. You're attacking their own, you know, economic future. So they're morally and economically incentivized. Um, I don't know very many groups that are like that, if any. Uh, you know, you have the gun issue. People care a lot about it. They think that's that's more of like a moral issue. Like if the guns go away, you're not going to like be bankrupt overnight unless you're maybe a gun owner or excuse me, uh, um, a gun store owner. Um, same thing with the you know reproductive rights um, or or um, on that issue. People, that's a moral issue. You're not necessarily going to, you yourself as an individual, uh, have your economic future t- torn away because of some way that they, they voted on that issue. Now, flip to the other side on economic issues like, oh, we should have less taxes because that's going to make me have a better economic future. Well, that's not that's not a moral issue. Like out, outlook look like. So this is something to remember about the Bitcoin voter. Again, just going back to this point, morally, economically incentivized. So they're highly incentivized to vote for whoever is going to support them the most. And so people will hate it and they will be so mad about it. And they'll think it's terrible that they would vote for someone that is, you know, you know, a Democrat might say, how dare you vote for this guy that's pro-gun? Well, Bitcoin voters will probably view that the Bitcoin issue is as a bigger moral issue than the gun issue oftentimes. Maybe not always, but very often. Um, I'll close there. I think that's something to keep in mind. 
as we move forward to this presidential cycle. I don't know how big of an impact we'll have on this one because we are still a new, Bitcoiners are a new voter class and they're growing. Um, and they may become so big that they become this major voting class that, that presidential elections fight over. Uh, will they do that this cycle? I think there will be some jockeying, but I don't know quite yet if we're ready for like swaying the outcome of a presidential election, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, I fully agree with what you just said. It's like if, if someone holds a large percentage of their portfolio in Bitcoin, like they're going to vote for the pro Bitcoin candidate rather like that's going to be their main issue hundred percent. And it's like, the normal people that hold 0% of Bitcoin or that hold no Bitcoin, like they don't really care. Like if the candidate happens to be pro Bitcoin, they're like, sure. That doesn't really matter to me. Like no one's like, I hate Bitcoin, you know, like if you, that's a great maybe point there's like, maybe there's like some like random, like, uh, that one Senator out in California that like hates Bitcoin, but it's like normal people and normal, like people that are voting, like do not care whatsoever if they don't have Bitcoin. That's a that's a really good point. Uh, in fact, it's one that I generally make when I refer to what happened in New Zealand when they started to introduce halal food. There's this like there's this um, uh, what do they call it? The uh, the uh, entrenched minority is kind of the premise of it. It's like if you yeah. if you are very entrenched in your way and yet the what you want is not something that the general electorate is you know opposed to, then you usually will get your way. Uh, the example is um, oftentimes when uh, Muslim populations move into new countries, they hit a certain percentage and all of a sudden all the grocery stores have halal food because people that eat, that are on halal, a halal diet will only eat halal. But people that are not on a halal diet, they don't care. They'll eat halal, they'll eat non-halal, it doesn't matter to them. They don't even look at it. It doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't register for them. So it just makes more sense if you want to capture that 3% to just have halal food all over the place in your grocery store um, because then you can have this new wave of revenue coming in. You know, the same thing can be said about the voters, like you're saying, like uh, it makes sense to just adopt this Bitcoin industry and uh, the Bitcoin voter block because it doesn't contradict with the rest of what you're trying to push. Now, some people could say the only caveat there is that some people that care a lot about the environment still view Bitcoin mining as a problem. Um, and I think that that's going to change over time. But generally speaking, most voters are not going to have you know, like change their view on a candidate because they're pro Bitcoin. You know, if Trump are pro Bitcoin, the the you know big pro Trump people are not going to stop voting for Trump. If Biden becomes pro Bitcoin, he's not going to like lose. In fact, he probably gain more people than he would lose in, in that sort of situation. So that's a really good point, Joe. Yeah, and, and like we we're talking about, like Bitcoin is still so small that you know, yes, there's a segment of the population that is you know going to vote for the pro Bitcoin candidate no matter what no matter what, but it's still small. But if Bitcoin does, you know, 20 X from here and just becomes equal to gold and gold's market cap, it's like that could be 20 X more people or 20 X more voting power to sway the election. And like that could be actually pretty, pretty massive. And then if Bitcoin goes beyond that, then it's like, okay, Bitcoin's like a massive part of the, uh, you know, the, the voting base. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's at some point, you know, you have a limit on, on the Bitcoin vote, right? Because if one day, if let's say, you know, Bitcoin takes over as world reserve currency, um, that, you know, that, if that, if that is a future we have, whether that's 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, hundred years beyond our lifetime, um, it's not something that people will get swayed on. What will actually happen is we'll switch to a world where uh, people will vote based on how people want to implement Bitcoin. So very much like how you have the internet, no one is like pro or anti-internet. They have a, they have an agenda on how they see the internet being used. You know, you have, for instance, example would like would be like online gambling. You know, people 
people want online gambling. Some people don't. Some people think it's good. Some people think it's totally a, a, you know immoral to have online gambling. Um, but that, but they're not saying get rid of the internet because there's online gambling. What you'll have in the future, um, and I've been saying this for some time now, is once you have full, more, more or less a mass adoption of Bitcoin, um, to whatever extent that is, and whatever amount people do use it or don't, when it hits that level, people will stop being like, oh, pro or anti-Bitcoin. They'll say, well, we like Bitcoin, but you can only mine it off 100% green energy. Like you can't use anything else. Like we're not going to, we don't want to ban Bitcoin mining. We love Bitcoin mining, but you can't use it for fossil fuels. And we're already seeing that take place to some extent in, at the state level. Um, New York just recently did that. So that's, you're going to see more of that. I don't know what the other things will be. Someone might be like a war, they might be like a um, censorship war hawk. We've already seen these conversations taking place where they say, okay, well, we like Bitcoin, but uh, we don't want North Korea to use it. So we're going to ban Bitcoin miners from processing the transactions that North Koreans use. We've already, this idea has already been populated and talked about. Um, and there are people who want, actually want that future. Now, do voters care? No, they don't, they're not like aware to this. But one day when like, you know, North Korea is about to launch a nuclear missile and they said it got paid for by Bitcoin because they, they stole some money here and whatever there. And now they can finance it with this Bitcoin transaction. Maybe all of a sudden you can convince the electorate to say, oh, well, we do want our government to figure out a way to restrict North Korea from using Bitcoin. And that might be probably a divisive subject where there might be, you know, Republicans and Democrats that agree on it. And there wants to be Republicans and Democrats that disagree on it. Because in both parties, important to remember, this is important. You have people that are very pro growth of government in Republican Party and Democrat Party. Oftentimes people try to say that that's a Democrat thing. It's not. It's generally whoever's in power. Um, Democrats have historically, in recent history, been doing it more. But there have been times when Republicans are by far and away are the party of, you know, grow, grow the government's power and strength. So um, I'll stop there. We could probably keep going on for on. These are great questions. Um, it's been a great conversation. And, um, you know, I'm really looking forward to kind of continuing to make sure that Satoshi Action Fund is at the cutting edge of moving the states the right direction on Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining. By passing right to mine, we're going to be really active at the state level. We've got Georgia coming up. We're going to be focusing on uh, Oklahoma will be a big target state for us. Uh, Nebraska, we're really looking into Ohio and also North Carolina as well. So we want to continue passing right to mine. Eventually, we're going to do right to mine 2.0 as well. Um, we're very interested as well also in, in getting in protections for Bitcoin miners and Bitcoin. Um, the biggest one we really see is the protection of private keys and anti-seizure laws. So no, we want to make sure that 6102 never becomes a thing in the United States. And we see all of that taking place at the state level. So um, yeah, just going to continue fighting for making sure that United States is the best country in the world for Bitcoin and Bitcoin miners. Nice. Yeah, I love it. Well, thanks for all of your hard work and, and your team team's hard work. You know, it's definitely something worth fighting for. And it's, you know, I'm very bullish on Bitcoin and I'm also very bullish on the United States. So I think your work is very critical for the future of both. Thanks, Joe. Yeah, we see it the same way too. So um, we're always looking for folks. If you're interested in, we're going to need more corporate partners to come in and partner with us as we move forward. Um, we're going to be doing a lot more research around Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining. So we need folks to come in and be able to write research grants for us and help us expand our operations. And we're very excited about the future for Satoshi Action. We've been able to get some great funding from our current corporate partners and also our fundraising efforts. For those of you that are interested, we are going to be going to Mining Disrupt. We're going to be going all in on that conference. Um, and we're going to be doing a booth, expo, uh, sponsorship, we're going to be, I'm going to be speaking there. 
Um, and there'll be some news coming out too as well. I don't know if I can announce it yet, but it'll be coming soon. So make sure you're there. Um, also, we will have a, a, an event there as well. We're gonna be doing a boat party with poker. Um, so we love, to, we love our events. We love to make them more unique and more interesting. So if you're interested in that, make sure you follow uh, satoshiaction.io newsletter. You can go to that website and sign up for our newsletter and be up to date on all the things that we're gonna be doing in the near future. Awesome. So yeah, everybody go check that out. And then Dennis, where can people find you if they wanna contact you specifically? Yeah, you can reach out to me. Uh, I mean, I check my emails. You can go to Dennis at satoshiaction.io. Shoot me an email. I, I read all of them. I don't always respond, but I read all of them. Uh, and then also on Twitter, you can do at Dennis underscore Porter underscore. Um, same thing there. My DMs are open. Uh, I don't respond to all of them, but I read all of them. So thank you, everybody, for if you reach out to me. Um, and then it, for Mining Disrupt, too, we're going to be looking for some volunteers. So if you're interested in helping us there, uh, please hit me up. Awesome. Sweet. Dennis, thanks so much for coming on. This is awesome. Introducing the Blockware Marketplace. Start mining Bitcoin today. This has the potential to transform the mining industry as now anyone can buy a Bitcoin ASIC using on-chain or Lightning, see its historical and live hash rate before purchasing, and be earning Bitcoin mining rewards in minutes. This brings transparency and turnkey mining to a whole other level. Start mining Bitcoin today at marketplace.blockwaresolutions.com. Dot com.